The Athletic. Tony Football Show today. Midweek prime matches like midweek prime minister, an awkward trip to the palace, few goals achieved and worried faces at the foot of the table. Still, Man United move to within a point of the top four, Liverpool win their third straight and even Forest get a point after stumping Brighton. We'll be talking about all of that, checking out the state of play and pondering the weekend ahead, featuring such delights as Chelsea Man United. All of that and much more in this Totally Football Show. Hey, it's Thursday the 20th of October. Ooh, a month until you know what. And here we have on The Totally Show, Duncan Alexander, Matt Davis-Adams and Carl Anker. Hello, friends. Hello. Hello. Nice. Uh, Ooh, midweek football. The uh, prime midweek games weren't all that prime. They weren't all that Amazon. Reaching a they number didn't, though, right? They didn't deliver. <laughs> Did they not, Duncan? Did they not? Well, you warned us though, didn't you? You warned yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to sort of point out I was right, but historically Wednesday and Tuesday, I don't know why I said them in that order, Tuesday and Wednesday, <laughs> maybe, um, are the lowest scoring days in, in Premier League history. And, and lo and behold, we've seen, what? what, eight goals in seven games so far. Where does Friday rank on your scale? Uh, Friday is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, obviously is you've it? got... Well, you've got Leicester beating Southampton 9-0. There's obviously been fewer oh, yeah. games on a Friday. so right. um, But yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday are... I think people get tricked because midweek games are quite exciting, especially when you're a kid and floodlights, etc. But often, you know, like we see at Christmas, I think I think a lot of the games I saw this week, um, the players looked a bit tired. Not Manchester United, but some of the players did look a little bit leggy. So, you know, and this season is, is catching up with a lot of players quite quickly. Yeah, well, indeed. Uh, a lot of viewers as well, eh, Matt? Yeah, just just a goal would have been nice, James. <laughs> this midweek, just one of them. I mean, maybe a little bit too much to to expect from watching a Nottingham Forest match, but um, there we go. Certainly in the opposition's goal, but mm. we move. You know, we've got we've got a point on the board and a clean sheet. We didn't have a, a shot in said match until I think the fifty eighth minute, and that went out for a throw. But that's good content in and of itself, I suppose. Mm. You're off the bottom of the table for now. Certainly are. Yeah, for on now. the move. Yeah, there you go. Well. Uh, as it stands, Tuesday night's uh, 2-1 victory for Crystal Palace, coming from behind against Wolves, uh, is the highest scoring of the midweek fixtures, two to come on Thursday evening. Only the eight goals in seven matches so far. The other match on Tuesday finishing 0-0 between Brighton and Forest at the Amex. On Wednesday, only five goals scored. That's the fewest on a day that featured at least five games since April 2017. Hmm. There were two for United at home to Spurs, one each for Newcastle against Everton, Liverpool against West Ham. And to be fair, they were both pretty peachy goals. And there was one for Southampton as well as they ended Bournemouth's unbeaten run. Will the goals come on Thursday? Possibly. The games are Fulham against Aston Villa and last again Leicester against Leeds. So, yeah, maybe. And then, if not, there's always the weekend where big matches... On the way include Chelsea against Man United and, uh, according to a note that Matt's holding up, Forest Liverpool. <laughs> Let's have a chat about some of that. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Bruno Fernandes, Fred, Bruno Fernandes! What a finish that is, what a further finish. He guides it into the corner. Bruno Fernandes there with the second... United's goals against Spurs in the big game Wednesday night. Carl was there at Old Trafford, Carl, for what they are calling United's best performance of the season. What are you calling it, Carl? It might be United's best performance or most coherent performance in longer than that. Uh, It was surprisingly coherent. Manchester United utterly dominated possession. They had more than one occasion where they were able to attack with sustained pressure. They very clearly want to get to, to what, you know, what some coaches may refer to as zone 14, which is that sort of area just in front, the central area just in front of the opposition's penalty area. Uh, and they had you know just shot from that area a lot, uh, 19 shots on goal in the first half. Uh, and then eventually 
time told, a deflected shot from Fred and Bruno Fernandes got the winner. There was very little question as to whether or not United were going to not go away with three points, which is very unusual, especially in a game against a team that's supposed to be a top four rival. Hmm. How many zones are there, Carl? Uh, they are 18. Wow. Like this is like when they, when they invented the G-spot and we all had to spend ages <laughs> pretending we knew about it. So there are 18 zones... And uh, Zone 14 sounds like a pretty important one. Yes, there was uh, a lot of, I want to say, around about late 90s, early 2000s, where essentially some what we now refer to as stats nerds uh, said uh, getting the ball to Zone 14 as quickly as possible is the, is the best way to score goals. Um, and there are a number of teams in the Premier League that, while I want, you know, openly refer to it as Zone 14, very clearly attempt to get the ball to you know, just that D area in front of the penalty area very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, okay. And then, you know, that's where they decide to, to play the final ball. I can confirm shout and get it in zone 14 in a crowded pub. It doesn't go down well. Wow. Mm. Um, the second goal, Carl, reminiscent of the good old days, no? The way United turned Spurs' chance into, into a, a score for themselves in the space of only a, a few moves. Yeah, yeah, it was a really demoralising moment if you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I, I think much was made of, of the century midfield battle. Um, Tottenham Hotspur have looked stronger in games this season when they've gone to that three-man midfield, but they were just utterly locked down by the combination of Fred and Casemiro. Fred was really getting to that left, left half space and, and you know, collaborating with Luke Shaw and Jadon Sancho. And Casemiro, who I don't think was... Eric Ten Hag's initial plan A for defensive midfield is, is probably doing the best defensive midfield work since perhaps 2018 when, when Nemanja Matic still had greater mobility. Um, it was really comprehensive and, and there was a sort of pause from a number of Manchester United fans. I wasn't sat in the press box for this game. Um, so I was surrounded by quite a few fans and yeah, there, there was a number of times going, this is promising with that sort of upward inflection question mark. Um, as they were just utterly baffled by how United were doing this one without Christian Eriksen, who had mm. looked to be completely integral to as to how Manchester United progressed the ball through the thirds. And two, with, I mean, there was, it looked as if Manchester United were going to play a game of football and no one was going to mention Cristiano Ronaldo until Cristiano Ronaldo decided to make things about himself on the 89th minute and walk down the tunnel and leave the stadium. Mm. One point off the team in fourth, we, we shouldn't get too carried away because it's only a few days before this game that you had the frustrating 0-0 draw with, with Newcastle United. But one point off the team in fourth place, who are Chelsea, who, <laughs> would you have a look at that, you're going to be facing, or United are going to be facing, Saturday at 5.30. We'll, we'll talk about that fixture in a, in a second. Interesting to hear Matt's take. Spurs, though... Charlie Eccleshare saying they look like a side battling relegation, or perhaps we should say they look like a Spurs side facing a top six team. Mm, mm. It looks as if... So Antonio Conte's Spurs are the stranger team in the top six in that they don't necessarily press high up the field. They they don't really have much attacking variance. So how they want to score is quite well known. Very, very strong essential areas, transitional ball, get it to Kane and Song, and, and then some, something will happen there. Uh, when Kulaveski is fit, uh, that gives them a little bit more variance, but it's very much, you need to do this thing absolutely perfect and then you score a goal, um, which I think will work against 14, 13, 15 teams in the, in the Premier League. Um, and, and, you know, fine. that That's maybe a way to finish in the top four spaces, but it, these ways, Conte essentially concedes central areas or concedes very key areas against top six teams is really undermining what should be a team that has the potential to, I don't know, maybe challenge for something more than just finishing fourth. Yeah, really worrying how little they got into zone 14, I, I thought, Duncan. Yeah, the zone 14 penetration was abysmal, I thought. Um, no, just to put that into context, they, I think a lot of Spurs fans are, I think Charlie was, was touching on that in his tweet, was they just, you know, They've invested a lot. They've got this amazing stadium. They are they're a big club now. That you know, in terms of they should be able to play an expansive way. And and, and this season they are so timid. And you know we've mentioned it before, but they've they've allowed 173 shots so far this season. Only sorry, Matt, Nottingham Forest with 176, and Everton with 183 have allowed more. 
And you look at the other end, Man City have, have allowed 70 shots, Arsenal only allowed 83. So combine those two teams, and that's still fewer than Spurs. And it's, yeah, okay, a lot of them, like we saw with United, were from long range and, and low XG, etc. But but it's just not a very inspiring way to play when you've got the squad that, that Spurs do. And I think that it's less the result because they're still in a good position. Um, they can go on a good run and their home record's really strong. But it's more the kind of attitude. I think it's almost like a a wasted opportunity almost. It's almost a bit like, you know, United have been at certain points under Mourinho and stuff. And it's just, you, you could just try and play to your strengths a little bit more because you are, you're not this club. You're, you're not this timid little plucky underdog. Unless I'm misremembering, Antonio Conte's football is not usually this drab, is it, as it has been at Spurs. Like at Chelsea, I seem to remember a lot of kind of smash mouth, high intensity, scoring loads of goals, fun stuff. And it just kind of seems to fit in with his general mood since he's been mm. the Tottenham manager of just like, oh, well, I mean, quite like living in London and maybe a <laughs> Serie A job will come up soon, but I guess I'll do this in the meantime. And that seems to be reflecting on the pitch a little bit, perhaps. Wow. Well, they're still third and they were unbeaten for ages. But the suggestion now seems to be having seen them getting done by Arsenal and now Man United and just getting away with it against Chelsea, that that was more about the quality of their their opposition. Mm. Worrying thoughts then for Spurs fans. What about, Matt, what about Man United's prospects at Stamford Bridge? United have beaten Liverpool and Arsenal and Spurs now so far this season, but those were all at Old Trafford. This one is going to be at Stamford Bridge. Hmm. Yeah, and they've been tricky opponents for Chelsea um, in the last few years. I think the last four games have all been drawn, actually. That is them. true. United is true. coming in. Yeah, United coming in with the momentum, aren't they? And, and Chelsea have got certainly two and possibly three of their most important players injured and out for the foreseeable future. And, and not much is being made of that. I don't think we really saw it in evidence how much they miss Reese James and he's not playing against Brentford. And um, obviously, Carl's talked about how Man United were so impressive in midfield on Wednesday night. Well, if you haven't got N'Golo Conte in there, then that would um, suggest that maybe that is an area that Manchester United could win from, I don't know, zones 10 to 14. So yeah, some concern there. Um, Chelsea generally take more points away from home than they do at home as well. So big test for Graham Potter, I think. I mean, Michael Carrick got a point at Stamford Bridge last season, didn't he, against um, against Chelsea. So interesting to see what ETH can do. Chelsea might have the advantage in the duel of the Spain goalkeepers, though. De Gea and Kepa. Tell us about the Kepa comeback, which continued against the Bees. Yeah, it did. Although I will put the caveat on this, that he got player of the match because the game was um, absolutely abysmal and he was basically the only thing that you could talk about. And so it wasn't like Aston Villa, Kepa on Sunday. It was just a couple of shots came at him and he managed to save them. Um, so it was a rather charitable One, one was really good, man. It yeah, was yeah. the, <coughs> checks notes, ten, Tony Point Blank one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. I mean, in this game last season, Edouard Mendy, Mendy made a load of brilliant saves to, mm. to win the game for Chelsea. He wasn't quite at that standard, Kepa, but but what he does is just make Chelsea much quicker at turning defence into attack because his distribution is absolutely excellent. And he's got the confidence of the players in front of him now, which he hasn't had for a while. I think that's five clean sheets in a row for Kepa, which is um, pretty extraordinary thinking of, of where he's come from. But it's just really nice to see, you know, somebody being mm. able to overcome adversity in what is clearly the most scrutinised position on a football pitch and has the potential for calamity every time you go out there. For, for him to be able to um, to turn that around is really impressive. It speaks really well to his character, I think, particularly given that he was saying his goodbyes at the mm. when they had a, a, a little do after the last game of the season with the new owners. And he was kind of patting people on the back and saying, it's been a pleasure, I'll see you down the road. And here he is, first choice. And unless something dramatic happens, he's going to be for the rest of the season. He, he refused to give up, just like he refused to come off in the League Cup. <laughs> nice. A metaphor for his career. I like that. Is there something behind this turnaround, Matt? Has, has there been somebody working behind the scenes, getting into his head? Has there been some moment that's turned things around for him? Well, there is a lot of talk, and obviously this is fairly recent, but um, our friend David Priest pointed this out to me, that Ben Roberts, who is the mm. uh, new Chelsea goalkeeper coach, is extremely highly rated uh, by all accounts. And so he will have had an influence on it, um, obviously. And that's quite a nice story in and of itself, because Ben Roberts' association with Chelsea is being the guy who had the ball larrap past him 42 seconds into the 1997 FA Cup final by Roberto Di Matteo. So it's quite interesting that that narrative has changed to like, now he's the Kepa redeemer. Um, <laughs> which is 
pretty fun. Ben, ben Roberts had a, had a spread on loan at Wickham in the 90s as well. And uh, I think he's the first keeper I ever saw wear short sleeve shirts, which seemed incredibly <laughs> cool and continental. And an Alice so, band. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's had an interesting career. Hmm. Graham Potter's unbeaten start taken with Kepa's performance here to seven matches, although they didn't get to win this time around. I think resting one or two players as well with the United game in prospect. Is that fair, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I think part of the thinking behind starting Armando Breuer, uh, that was his first start for Chelsea, was evidenced in the one-on-ones that he had with Ben Mee, where he absolutely left him trailing and, and could have scored a couple of goals. Um, so obviously you've got people like Aubameyang, they're, they're not going to start every game. Um, but Thiago Silva needed a rest and uh, and got one in, in this match too. Yeah, definitely with, um, with Manchester United in mind on Sunday. Raheem Sterling too, didn't start game on late. But um, yeah, Chelsea have got a really deep squad full of really excellent players. It was interesting in this game that Conor Gallagher went off ill very early on after about 15 minutes and, and Chelsea had been totally swamped in midfield up until that point. Obviously, Gallagher's quite an attacking player. They brought on Mateo Kovacic um, through necessity rather than choice and he completely wrestled back control of that area of the pitch for them. So that was another illustration of just how much depth Chelsea have got at the moment. And yeah, they need that because they're in the middle of a run of nine games in October. And as I say, they're doing it without Fafana, James and Conte, who would all be in the first team where they fit. Okay. Man United arriving at the weekend. Man United have won nine of their last 12 matches. Matt, you were mentioning the fact that the last four meetings between these two sides have been draws. United, though... Of late, over the last five years, unbeaten against Chelsea. They haven't won against Man United Chelsea since November 2017. Won Alvaro Morata with the winner. That stat, by the way, only valid for the Premier League. Don't use it for other competitions. Here is a fact, though. Since November 2017, every Premier League meeting between these clubs at Sanford Bridge has included at least one new manager. And in fact, this Saturday... They'll have two new managers since the last time they faced off. Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because United season started with Graham Potter kind of comprehensively outthinking them. So it's kind of a let's see how far they've they've progressed since then. I think I think this midweek shows that uh, that the answer to that is is quite a long way. But um, obviously, Graham Potter. And Thomas Frank had a weird interview in each other before the game in midweek, which was quite nice. But can't really see that happening between Ten Hag and Potter for a game this big. But it is they are two really impressive cerebral managers. So I think this game, you know, often this game has been quite intense, blood and thunder at certain points in its history. But I think this one is going to be quite a quite a Zone 14 based aesthetic uh, thinking game. Carl. Yeah, yeah. I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup. I would expect Manchester United to bring back Christian Eriksen in some shape or form to, to try and help with, with ball progression. Uh, the Eric Ten Hag struck a very serious tone when asked about Ronaldo leaving uh, before full-time and, and, and essentially just driving off at Old Trafford to beat the traffic, shall we say, which leads me to think that Marcus Rashford will again be given another role uh, as the number nine so this leads me to think Manchester United would probably try and counterpunch Chelsea, uh, which has been successful in certain outings, such as the, the 4-0 victory over Frank Lampard's Chelsea. The lack of Kante does help with that. Kovacic is very press-resistant. Casemiro seems to be clanging into tackles right now. It's all shaping up for a very um, heated 1-1 draw. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, just to say, if for some reason you'd like to hear more of me and Carl talking about this fixture, Carl has very kindly agreed to appear on Straight Out of Cobham, which we'll be recording after this. Brilliant. Well, that's nice. Straight Out of Cobham, as opposed to Cristiano Ronaldo at the end of this game, will be straight out of Stamford Bridge. <laughs> Possibly. Very nicely nice. done, Duncan. Very nicely done. Yeah, the multiple Ballon d'Or winner not enjoying the spectacle of his compatriot Bruno Fernandes back to. I think you'd say the heights, the heights of his, uh, you know, the, his former luster mm. uh, there. Excellent. Well, that, that is uh, Chelsea Man United in prospect. Uh, next up on the Totally Football Show, ooh, Nottingham Forest, Liverpool. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Now offside, Gemmell laying it off for Sheringham. Clough calling for the early cross. Sheringham goes for goal! Oh! The first Premier League goal for Nottingham Forest, and it's a peach! Only game this weekend is Nottingham Forest-Liverpool, Saturday lunchtime. History fans... Know this as the first ever Premier League fixture broadcast live on Sky Sports. It was Sunday the 16th of August 1992. This one fittingly is on BT Sport. But back then... It was all about BT phone cards back then, but how time changes. Yeah. <laughs> Kids today won't remember, but that was the first ever Super Sunday. Sundays had never been super before. You, you, none of you will remember this game, will you? I do remember it. Do you I remember was a child, it, Duncan? But and I insisted on on being taken somewhere that had Sky, so I could watch it. because I was so excited. Okay. And <laughs> I think I'm right. I think the game kicked off at four. I think the program started at one. So <laughs> that's a lot of build up. And I I, th- I put it into in one of my books. It's like the the first person mentioned in the history of Premier League live TV broadcasting um, by Richard Keyes, obviously in the intro, was um, was Robin Hood. Uh, wasn't a player oh. for either sides, but a nice little little local reference. But um, mm. yeah, um, Matt, you were probably there, weren't you? Uh, I was not there for this game. No, um, unfortunately, I don't. I remember very little about it, other than Teddy Sheringham's excellent goal, and then him, um, leaving what a week later. Mm. I yeah. never really seen. He had a good first season for Forest, but he never really seemed to to get on with Brian Clough after they were. After they met at the club for the first time and Brian Clough said, oh, Edward, delighted to meet you. And Teddy Sheringham said, oh, actually, boss, I prefer Teddy. Right you are, Edward. Right you are. <laughs> In the post-game quotes on this, uh, Clough very pointedly calls him Edward mm. Sheringham. Uh, yeah, he goes off to Spurs and wins the Golden Boot there that season. Game also featured, well, Graham Souness for Liverpool as manager. They had David James make his lead debut in this game. Ian Rush, Dean Saunders, that kind of thing. For for Forrest, do you remember any, any of the team? Matt, Brian Laws. Brian Laws, the, former Premier League manager, of course. Chicken, yeah. chicken, chicken incident. Chicken, yeah. chicken wing mm-hmm. plate lobbing. Mm. Yeah. Varno Benetti. Yeah, Varno yeah. Benetti remembers him very well. Um, Forrest mm. obviously lost Teddy Sheringham, brought in Gary Bannister. And okay. then as... Uh, as You're the, just making uh, so, names up now. <laughs> as the second half of the season hit and uh, it was they a needed step some down goals. bringing in Bannister yeah <laughs> very good they, they, they had a choice Forrest in the um, it wouldn't have been the January window but at the turn of the year or whatever to, to bring in a striker to try and keep them up Sheringham having left and it could have been Stan Collymore but they went for Robert Rosario instead yeah that was like the, a really annoying early kind of transfer thing went on and on and, and it's almost like Clough because so many people were saying you've got to buy Collymore from Southend because he's playing so well and he'll be really good. It's almost like Clough dug his heels in and was like, no, I'm going to go for Robert Rosario, which yeah, wasn't wasn't the right option. Obviously, Collymore then did go to go to Forest and was very good. Mm. Roy Keane was part of the Forest team that mm. um, that season as well, of course. Yep, Nigel Clough. Yeah, there you go. Oh, right. Well, this time, anyway, this time, Forest on Tuesday night holding Brighton goalless... Moving off the bottom of the table with the point, facing a Liverpool side that is fresh from a third straight victory, although this one was tight against West Ham. Uh, Matt, do you want to tell us about Forrest and the nil-nil draw? Do you want to tell us about Ryan Yates' septum? Hang it in the Louvre, says Matt Davis-Adams. <laughs> oh, good old Ryan Yates. Yeah, he's he's something that I'm really clinging to this season because uh, he's you know local boy, done good, vice-captain, now captain because for some reason Joe Worrell still can't get a place. Uh, in the Forest team but he had the ball smashed right in his face and then he had it smashed right somewhere else afterwards and he just kept on trucking all throughout the game running around chasing shadows for a lot of it but you can't question his his efforts and commitment Forest were really lucky because Brighton missed a load of chances but hey you know it's Brighton that's going to happen I suppose Mm. Uh, but they're definitely looking a bit more defensively solid and assuming Steve Cooper doesn't get fed up of the nonsense that goes on uh, behind the scenes at Forest and sticks around um, I think the World Cup break is going to be 
be really good for him and for his squad because you've got, I don't know, Nico Williams, Brennan Johnson, Freuler, maybe Kuyate going to the World Cup. But other than that, everybody's going to be staying. So I would imagine that we're going to see lots of Premier League teams playing behind closed doors games in Dubai or somewhere to you know keep a bit of fitness ticking over. And that will be invaluable time for Cooper to actually work with the squad that he's got. But he's right to have gone, OK, we need to just not concede any goals for a bit and then we can work on trying scoring them. Um, maybe play an actual striker would help to that end and, and not play Jesse Lingard. Um, but there's some little crumb of comfort for Forrest. It's been... It's been quite chastening to go from 23 years of pity to four months of ridicule, but there are signs that maybe things are getting a little bit better. Mm. Brighton, no doubt, will be looking to the World Cup break for Roberto De Zerbi to, to get a bit more of a hang of his team. Although you have to say he's picked up on the Brighton DNA spectacularly quickly. <laughs> They've had 54 shots in the last three games and no goals whatsoever. He's the first Brighton manager to not win any of his first four games in charge since Barry Lloyd, someone I'd not heard of. Uh, that in, is a made-up Brighton manager. <laughs> if ever in, the mid nine, in the mid-1980s. So, I mean, obviously there are caveats. A 3-3 at Liverpool is decent mm. and they are playing OK, but it must be slightly galling for Brighton fans in the sense that they were doing so well under Potter and they're, they're going to be fine this year and I'm sure De Zerbi will, will do well, but it, is, it's, you know, it has taken that little bit of extra sparkle off. They were doing well under Potter, no question. But this kind of result used to happen under him as well. Uh, losing to bottom team Burnley, uh, March 2022, True. not that long ago. 3-0, in fact. And uh, that, uh, like a month later, there was a 0-0 draw against the subsequent bottom team Norwich. So, kind of there. Yeah, but it felt like this season he'd kind of got past mm. that a little bit. Um, but yeah... But yeah, like the Brighton DNA is strong. It's the strongest thing <laughs> in the nation. Now, Potter's last home game was a 5-2 win, wasn't it? It's, it's mm. such a weird position for De Zerbi to come into. It's such a rare thing to be like, OK, so what do we need to fix here? Well, not much apart from scoring goals. And yeah, it must be must be difficult to get the trust of players to an extent, I think, if you, if you really liked the last guy, which supposedly people do. You know, it's one thing to win matches, but if it's with somebody who has an actual degree in emotional intelligence then that's quite a tough act to follow to win people over I would imagine mm, indeed well Forrest will be looking to add to their collection of clean sheets which now stands at two thanks to Dean Henderson's career high seven saves against Brighton as they face a Liverpool side as I mentioned fresh from a 1-0 win over West Ham a game that Duncan you were all over and you were really excited by Darwin Nunez yeah he only played 57 minutes. He was brought off as a precaution, but he was just, just mad and fun. And you know, people will criticise him as, you know, for occasionally miscontrolling or, or shooting wildly. But he just, he's such an agent of chaos. And he had he had six shots, three of them on target. He hit the post. He had a, a dipping volley that was tipped over. Um, he obviously scored the goal. A really good header. He's he's just, he's not like the sort of typical Liverpool forward. He's not a Roberto Firmino or or a Sadio Mane figure, but he is he had, does have something different and his kind of uh, XG per ninety is the best in the Premier League, with the caveat is not, you know, played a ton. But he I think he is offering something different to Liverpool. Um you know, he did against City when he came on at the weekend, obviously the the game was stretched. And Liverpool were noticeably less effective once he went off against West Ham. And West Ham pretty unlucky not to to get a point out of the game really. Obviously Allison saved a penalty in the first half, but but yeah, I think Nunes, obviously the comparison with Haaland's been there all season and, and they are different players. Haaland's a lot more polished. Um, but I, I just, football is, should be fun and, and watching Darwin Nunes is, is incredibly fun. Hmm. Liverpool are yet to win away from home at the, in the Premier League this season. Is that going to change? Hmm. I say, we can help them out with that, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> should we have a word about West Ham as well, Duncan? Yeah, I thought they they did okay. I mean, the 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 penalty miss was was the big, you know, the the big error, I guess, for them. But they 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 had some good chances late on. James Milner once again, eternal James Milner made a sort of last ditch block right at the end. Um, obviously, David Moyes is, is now, you know, he's never won away as a manager at, at Anfield, Sanford Bridge, Arsenal, or, or Old Trafford. Um, How many games is that? It's up to like 68 now, I think, or something. So um, it's 
it's kind of one of those curiosities that I'm sure will nag at him slightly. And this is the the weird thing about football. Liverpool have played better at home this season and not won. Um, you know, they they showed more attacking verve at, at points against Palace, against Brighton than than they did against West Ham. It was a, it was quite a relatively lacklustre performance from Liverpool, but you can get you can understand that after the efforts of uh, of Sunday, I suppose. But um, mm. but yeah, I don't I don't think it's a disaster for West Ham. They they still looked, you know, a pretty solid team. So I'm I'm sure they will uh, they'll bounce back this weekend. Okay. It's a good save as well, wasn't it? From the penalty, it wasn't wasn't like it was yeah, a terrible. It certainly terrible helped penalty. a little bit by uh, Virgil Van Dijk churning up the penalty spot. Did he really mm. churn it, or did he just tread on it? It didn't look like there was a massive amount of churn to that spot uh, to me. What what's a subtler version of churn? <laughs> Tinkering. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a little tinker on on, mm. on the penalty spot uh, from Mr. Van Dijk. I think West Ham should be fine. Uh, I think that the definition of flying by West Ham now is increasingly top eight. Um, okay. They're currently th- uh, 13th ahead of this weekend's clash with Bournemouth. Liverpool, meantime, are creeping back up the table. They are now four points off the top four, but with a game in hand on plenty of the teams around them. Duncan, it sounds like you've got something you want to say. No, I was oh. going to make a joke about Zone 17, but... I think the moment's passed. Okay. Just just for clarity, right? Zone one is your own six yard box and zone eighteen is the opposition no, six yard box. No, no. Zone one is like court. your left back zone, kinda. Okay. Where's zone eighteen? Is it the right winger? Yes. Oh. Well the jet. Yeah. Zone nineteen is the most important. It's inside the players' minds. <laughs> zone nineteen is where Cristiano Ronaldo is. <laughs> Also this midweek, Gary O'Neill's unbeaten run as still interim manager of Bournemouth came to an end when Southampton beat his Bournemouth 1-0. The vitality. In the process, Southampton finally recording a clean sheet. They were the last team in English league football not to have not conceded in a game this season. That's, yeah, I mean, borderline interesting. Uh, Newcastle kept a clean sheet as well at home to Everton. And not surprising, given uh, Everton's stats in that game, the Newcastle goal coming from Miguel Almiron, who's now on four in four. This was an absolute wonder strike. Did you? Did anyone catch this? Jack Grealish probably needs to write an apology <laughs> now, doesn't he? Yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Bit of bit of Kepa vibes to Almiron. Nice sort of revival mm. of his career, having been a mocked figure for a long time. Yeah, very much so. I think the initial plan to bring him in on the Rafa Benitez never quite came to fruition. And then the Steve Brutiers often saw him having to carry the ball the better part of 35 yards or chasing Alan San Maxman, who's carrying the ball the better part of 35 yards. And it was just those two having very little other attacking options. Um, and now, you know, this Newcastle team are now being defined by intensity and, and, mm. and the quality of their press. And it's the thing of a, a talented player in good confidence who's now not having to run 35 yards before making a pass is is now looking quite decent. Mm. He has no ceiling. <laughs> Newcastle look good going forward. They're, all, they're the best defence in the league as well. And um, obviously letting in nine goals in your opening 11 is pretty good. I had a look at the teams who have done that. And the last four, um, two of them have won the league, Chelsea in 2017 under Conte and Liverpool in 2020. And two of them have come seventh, uh, Burnley in 2018. Deitch masterclass and Spurs in 2021. So you feel like that, obviously Newcastle aren't going to win the league, but seventh is probably the lowest they're going to finish now. And, you know, they, I think they've got a reasonable chance of, of making a challenge for the top four. If you don't let in goals, you're going to do all right, as Forrest are discovering. That was Forrest's first away clean sheet in the Premier League since 1999. Three-year-old Carl remembers it well, I'm sure. <laughs> nice. On Tuesday, there was that high-scoring Palace-Wolves game. Palace coming from behind after Trier's opener. Uh, Oh, Matt, what's this that I read in theathletic.com about the man being lined up to take over at Molyneux? Michael Beale. 
Hmm, it's a real curveball from Wolves, isn't it? Because you'd think it's like hmm, mid-40s, how to spell it, Rio Arvin Sporting. Let's get you in, whoever you are. But um, Michael slash Mick Beale, very much against the grain, although he has got that um, interesting thing about having been coached at Sao Paulo for a while, yeah. which is maybe part of the appeal. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure where this has come from, to be honest. And I was speaking to my What the EFL co-hosts Sam Parkin and Adrian Clark about this and Adrian made a really good point that QPR whoever whoever gave him the deal should surely have said you can have a release clause but it won't kick in for 12-18 months rather than 15 games into the championship <laughs> season which is what he's looking like at the moment um, I wonder if he might be a decent match for Wolves though because he plays kind of two number 10s all very intricate through midfield not so much emphasis on the strikers which uh, you know, you haven't got any at Wolves, so that would seem to make some sense. But he's managed to get QPR to the top of the yeah. championship in what was a very strange championship this season with no outstanding team. So maybe they're not as good as they look at the moment. Well, for anyone who's not been following Michael slash Mick Beale's career so far, this is only 16 games into his uh, managerial run. But you can see how um, Aston Villa have kind of collapsed this season since he left. You know, I don't mm. think that's a coincidence. He was obviously Stephen Gerrard bigs him up a lot, and he, he played a, a big part in Rangers' success, didn't he? And, and maybe um, Gerrard will be his assistant. Remember when Stuart Houston and Bruce Rioch <laughs> swapped over? It'd be like that. But I mean, he's doing really well at QPR. They could go up and pass Wolves the other way. Mm. So I don't know. The Michael Mick thing is is just fascinating to me because he was Michael Beale while he was an assistant. Then when he got the QPR job, he was insistent that he was now Mick Beale. And mm. yet his Twitter handle is Michael Beale. So we're going to need to clear that up when he becomes a Premier League manager. It's mm. a kind of Lawrence Fishburne, Andrew Cole. But Mick Beale's not know. a 2022 Premier League manager's name, is it? I mean, that fellow who got uh, who Duncan mentioned from Brighton, he could have been a Mick Beale. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, Wolves do have a good history of managers called Mick. So mm. you know, maybe that was their search criteria. Narrow down. Will this one be so gifable? <laughs> so, on the Sao Paulo note, because so he he worked in Chelsea's academy, he worked alongside Stephen Gerrard at Liverpool, joined him at Rangers, worked with him at Villa. In amongst all of that, he went off and became assistant manager at one of the biggest clubs in Brazil. Yeah, it, it wasn't Paolo. in and amongst all that. That was the first. That was really his first coaching role with a senior team, which is yeah fascinating um apparently he's just a long time fan of south american football but you know it's it's really interesting that, that he's done this and obviously that that link to, to south american football might be something that wolves would look to exploit you think with the kind of recruitment model that they've traditionally gone for so maybe it's not as left field as as it i mean feels mick sounds like a name that a brazilian footballer with a really long name would give themselves <laughs> so maybe that's where it comes from mm. spelt this wrongly, but so, yes. M I K C or something like yeah. QPR played on Wednesday night and he was in charge and, and they won the game um, convincingly against Cardiff 3-0. Uh, he wasn't saying, yeah, I'm definitely going. He said, I've got a decision to make. Uh, QPR are doing really well. So it doesn't sound like he's actually had any talks or anything. So it's not nailed on that he would go there. And as Duncan says, you know, there is something to that. QPR might go up and Wolves might go down. Um, so, yeah. And QPR is supposed to be a good club to work for. You know, people seem to like working for mm. Les Ferdinand as a sporting director. Wolves feel like they're on the wane a little bit. So, West London having four Premier League teams will be quite amusing as well. Wolves currently in the bottom three of the Premier League. Uh, they are level on points with the two teams above them, Villa and Leeds, but both those teams will be in action on this Thursday evening. Mm. Right. Very, very shortly... We'll talk about some more of the weekend's activities and we'll hear about the quite remarkable scoreline Wednesday night in Lyon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. And they could get a fifth here. It's Mead! They have got a fifth! <laughs> this is off the scale for Arsenal. While the boys were struggling with the scoring midweek in the Premier League, the girls had the goals going on in the Women's Champions League. Arsenal women, who were facing eight-time Champions League winners, the current European champions, Leon, and facing them away in Leon, went and beat them five goals to one. Witness to this was the Athletics' Charlotte Harper, who's just put a n- nice piece up on, on Thursday morning about what a difference a year makes to Arsenal women. And she joins us now on the line. Hello, Charlotte. Good morning, James. Good morning to you. So you were there Wednesday night for this historic historic bit of gauntlet lobbing. Sounds like an Olympic sport, that. Mm. <laughs> gauntlet lobbing. Arsenal have really laid down their marker. It was very convincing victory very clinical from Arsenal. Leon looked a shadow of themselves and it was a surprise. We knew Leon was struggling with injuries, but they're eight-time Champions League winners for a reason mm. and have never conceded that many goals at home before. No, and they still had, I think, what, half the team was was present in the final, I think more than that, she was present in the final last year against Barcelona. So they're still a pretty impressive opponent and, and Arsenal go and do do that to them. You make the point of the contrasts with Arsenal's first game in last season's Champions League. Yeah, so um, wind back a year, Arsenal play then reigning champions Barcelona, lose 4-1 away. One year on, uh, they play the, the current holders, Lyon, who beat Barcelona this summer. And they win 5-1. In terms of the performance, it was very, very pleasing and very promising for Jonas Edeval's side. Absolutely. Well, uh, two of the players had braces. Uh, Beth Mead, Ballon d'Or runner-up on, on Monday. Uh, the, the second of which, that free kick, was uh, a sizzler. Caitlin Ford also with a brace. Uh, Leon against Leonesses. Oh, I like that one, James. Yeah, Arsenal were just on the front foot. Very aggressive uh, and Leon were tepid. Looking back to that Champions League final, when I spoke to you on the podcast as well, Leon mm. was so dominant and really took the game to Barcelona. It was very physical. There were clashes and was just not the same Leon side um, tonight. I know that they are missing Ada Hegerberg, uh, Grigem Bock and uh, the centre-back, Katarina Macario, Delphine Cascarino, Ellie Carpenter. You know, these are big games, big names in the Leon side but I asked Kim Little about that the Arsenal captain I said does this take a shine off Arsenal's win and she said not at all you know we're struggling with injuries too and that is true they're missing Lioness captain Leah Williamson at the back and also uh, Rafael so it, it is a, a you know the, the tide is slightly shifting and, and you fear for Leon because those players aren't going to come back quickly. And we know last year how Juventus really gave them a run for their money as well. So watch this space. 
Mm, it's interesting times. Next up for uh, Arsenal will be Zurich, the other team in the group at home. That's uh, a week today. You're heading up to Paris, though, to see Chelsea taking on Paris Saint-Germain. I am. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, the PSG Ultras, I imagine, will be in strong force. Um, despite all that's going off the pitch uh, with PSG, and we've spoken about the Kira Hamrawi and Aminata Diallo incident that happened last year, mm. PSG are in a strong position. They've recruited well. They're under new management, a completely kind of new setup with the manager, Gérard Prescher, who's the former Lyon head coach. Um, his new assistant as well. So, yeah, it'll be a, a tough test for Chelsea. But we, we've seen Chelsea dominate in the WSL uh, and it'll be interesting. I'm really, really intrigued to see how this one will go. All right. Uh, I'm intrigued to have the fact that PSG's women team and our women's team are now under pressure uh, themselves. Ah, pressure. That's a lovely pun. I was just very slow to it <laughs> on a Thursday morning. Yeah. Is pressure under pressure? Well, yeah, perhaps he will be. Come Thursday evening. Magnificent. Well, have a great trip to Paris, Charlotte. And thank you uh, for that update on this momentous result. I look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thanks so much, James. Charlotte Harper. Matt, did you were you, uh, were you able to catch up with this game after your excitements? Hungry for goals as you were? Yeah, well, that's why I caught up with it. And there were some absolutely superb goals in it from Arsenal as well. But it, it, a real shot in the arm for the WSL as, as much as it was for Arsenal because you know we've had Man City go out in the qualifying rounds for the last two seasons in this competition. Chelsea didn't make it past the group stage last season. Uh, Arsenal were, were fairly comprehensively beaten by Wolfsburg in the quarterfinals last year. And uh, people who know more than me about women's football say that there there has been and still is quite a big gap between the top teams in European women's football and the WSL team so it does feel like there's a bit of a momentum shift but yeah this is this was a crazy result I mean, Leon did have some injuries but Arsenal were missing both their first choice centre-halves one of whom is the captain of England and they were able to leave Vivian Miedemar on the bench so extraordinary stuff mm. They weren't the only big scorers midweek that Barcelona Femini took on Benfica and beat them 9-0 Mm. Anyway, ho-hum, back to the Premier League. This weekend, Forest and Chelsea games aside, what are you looking forward to? Carl, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I'll be at Leeds versus Fulham. Oh. Uh, stepping in as your substitute Fulham correspondent for The Athletic. Oh. Rather looking forward to watching Fulham up close. Um, I can't quite figure out who the third team to be relegated is. And Fulham have patches where they look more than capable of surviving any form of relegation battle. So, I was going to ask you who the, the two teams who will be relegated are, but then I realised we've got Matt Davis-Adams. Yeah, yeah. Let's Matt, <laughs> all the way back before this season even began last May, said this. When, when should we go to you for the hot take? Well, it is relegation-based, but it's on the next okay. season, so it depends whether you want to wait till we get to the game in question. No, I'm, I'm desperate to find out. All right, I think Wolves might well get relegated next season. Right. It's going early. That is early, even by your standards, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> wow, Matt, that's... I mean, even by your standards, as I say, that is... That's... Pre-McBeal. I hope he's not going to um, <laughs> make me look bad. Didn't see that coming, did you? Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carl's going to Leeds Fulham. Obviously, those two are going to be in and around... The relegation zone. I'm looking forward to reading Carl's piece on Monday morning about the touchline fracker because I mean Jesse Marsh and Marco Silva. That's got dust written all over. Can't it, wait. Is, can't is, wait. Is Marco Silva a bit spiky as well? Then oh yeah. He's, yeah, he's a very spiky individual. He's also, in my experience of watching his Everton team, he is very confident in himself after a victory. Um, in, in sort of the, the rankings of, of managers who are very happy after a win. Sean Dyche still number one by by a long way. Um, <laughs> Mourinho's up there, but but when Marco Silva won with Everton, he would he come in and you, you ask him about any sort of tactical decision, he was like, "Well, yeah, of course." And that sort of it was a decision I made, and and, and I believe it was right, and I'm vindicated. Um, so 
Jesse Marsh is quite similar, isn't he? It doesn't feel that long ago that I was watching him do a big song and dance on the pitch at the end of um, their 3-0 shellacking of Chelsea earlier this season. I'm not sure they've actually won a game since that, have they? Oh, they beat Barnsley in the League Cup the next week. Other than that, they haven't won a game since. Mm. Leeds are interesting in that when their spine all plays together and coalesces, that should be good enough. Um, so I, I very much think Sinistera has the makings of one of the better players in the bottom half. Um, I think Tyler Adams is a very good way of replacing Calvin Phillips. I am beginning to have extra question marks over Patrick Bamford, but I mean, Patrick Bamford likes removing question marks. So yeah, when that spine gets in and plays, that should be fine. But much like last season, Leeds' spine doesn't all come together at the same time until very late on the season. And it's that thing of when do I get to see Leeds' quote-unquote, best 11. It's a good question, Carl. Should be goals in this game, though. 4-3 when they last met at Ellen Road. That was back in 2020. Duncan, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Probably Tottenham-Newcastle, I think. OK. Um, because I think after the midweek, it's a little bit of a referendum on where Tottenham are going to go. Um, Newcastle have won 10 away games against Spurs, which is uh, their joint most in, in Premier League. Obviously, they lost 5-1 last year, but you know they generally do okay away at Spurs. And this Newcastle could could do really well. Um, obviously, you know Spurs struggling to break down defences in some games, and, and Newcastle on paper have have one of the best in the division. So, yeah, I think that's going to be going to be really intriguing, um, and it will. I think it will be a big sign for for the rest of the season. Okay, Spurs have won ten home games in a row in all competitions. So true. Yeah. But unless they win every game at home forever, the run will come to an end at some point. You say that, but I don't know. Uh, Matt, what about for you? Uh, Well, I'm going to Chelsea Man United, so I'm obviously looking forward to that. But Aston Mm. Villa-Brentford, I think, is um, somewhat Mm. intriguing because uh, I saw Villa live last week and they played really well against Chelsea and and didn't score. And I saw Brentford last night and they are just great at blocks. But I wonder if Steven Gerrard does get sacked. Maybe Thomas Frank would be a contender for the Villa job and... um, yeah, I also I, I I don't know I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I was looking at the respective squads and I thought if you offered Ollie Watkins and Ezri Konza the chance to move back to Brentford now, would they see that as a better career move mm. than staying um, at Aston Villa? Wow, interesting points there, Matt. Villa haven't beaten Brentford in the league since anybody know. 1947, Trevor Ford got both in a 2 0 win, didn't he? In the midst of a, a hot streak, which would. Yeah, yeah. Trevor Ford. Yeah, Trev he Ford. Um, later got suspended by the FA for, for taking illicit payments from Sunderland, who were trying Did to he? circumnavigate the uh, the minimum wage at the time. Yeah, had to move to, to Holland and play for PS9. Bloody Trevor for a Ford. Bit. Well, well, well. <laughs> for spoiling our game. Never knew Trevor Ford was a. Fordy, yeah. Hot, though, on his day. Mmm. They couldn't afford to pay him by <laughs> legal means. First of all, I, you know, I, I know Rory Smith said we still have no idea what Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa are. And secondly, they're so narrow. Mm. Oh my goodness. Um, just big shrug. Like, get some I, chalk on your boots, lads. I used to play five-side football in Camberwell and the pitch was in an old swimming pool and it was the narrowest place to play football I've ever done. And it was quite dangerous because basically it was an empty swimming pool that they'd turn into a football pitch, a five-side football That's pitch. That's amazing. Yeah. And it, was there a lot of trust- diving, Duncan? I was going to say, it's been about, it's been about Ashley Young and diving. Yeah, it was there, wasn't it? Um, but when I watch Aston Villa, it feels like they could actually thrive in that environment because you're right, it is incredibly narrow. I, I know half of them, I think it was maybe more than 10 years ago I, I believe Hoffenheim used to train on a, on a pitch that was deliberately narrow um, mm. and I think it was walled in order to, to sort of encourage forward passing it was very much do not pass sideways we, we don't want it we just really want to get into zone 14 um, and it <laughs> Gerard's, t- Gerard's Rangers side was all about positional discipline uh, um, you know defense you know intensity in possession and just really being really stout in central areas and and this Villa team are supposed to be doing that, but the, uh, well, I'll say the talent drain from Gerald's coaching team has just left them, all right, okay, so you, you want to you wanna play in the width of the penalty areas. Do you want to do anything else? 
Mm. Real contrast with Brentford as well, who, who put in more crosses than anybody else. I think this is it. certainly it'll be a fun matchup. And, I think it'll be yeah. a fun matchup. It's I the do narrow often... wide classico that the nation's been crying <laughs> out for. Very interesting. Other fixtures which you've cruelly shunned include Wolves against Leicester. Ooh, Battle of the Bottom Three. That could be a key game. Man City Brighton will be interesting. Do you remember when Deserbi in his first game went to Liverpool and gave them a scare? Mm. Three three, any chance something similar? Do you think away at the Etihad for his Brighton? Mm. Not so much. Maybe. Well, maybe. I mean, City obviously had a nice, nice rest in midweek, so no doubt they've assimilated fifteen more approaches ready to uh, to beat Brighton. But yeah, it'll be an interesting game. But Brighton have lost their last eight by twenty-one two aggregate, so maybe not. What against City? Yeah. Okay, uh, Southampton are taking on Arsenal. That's Sunday at two o'clock. Southampton have won three of their last five meetings at St Mary's. Arsenal will not be having a rest midweek. They've got Ruud van Nistelrooy's PSV, PSV in that rearranged Europa League group stage match on Thursday. Nice line from van Nistelrooy in his uh, pre-match press conference about this game where he said he was expecting a warm reception because he kept Arsenal invincible by missing that penalty. Uh, so famous. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be, I just think it's going to be a really fun matchup. This PSV Arnhoven side has got a lot of young talent that will be on the radar of many teams in Europe. There's Cody Gakpo, who I've just written about um, on the FA Cup. I, I mean, I think he's going to be a breakout star at the World Cup. Xavi Simmons, um, who, you know, PSG Academy graduate, sort of an Instagram hero. I think he's also something like 2 million followers on Instagram. Wow. Uh, and was talked about sort of, ooh, he, he might be the next big thing is finally playing at PSV and, and looks like the real deal. Uh, and there's the TIFO darling, Ibrahim Sangeri, who is just an amazing defensive midfielder remarkable uh, press resistant ball winning really tall eye for a decent pass Arsenal very much will be the favourites for this game uh, and probably now you know until we find out who drops in from the Champions League look to be the favourites for the, for the Europa League but I think this game will give Premier League watchers uh, a really good opportunity to, to look at some stars of the future hmm. I'd like to see going forward if they get if, if they persist with the business of people dropping, getting relegated from the Champions League to the Europa League. Surely, top team in the Europa League group should get promoted up to the Champions League to <laughs> mix it up with them. If you win all six games and don't concede a certain amount of goals, yeah, go on, have a, have a bye, get in the Champions League. Why not? All right. Everton taking on Crystal Palace. Oh, I mentioned Everton's stats earlier on. They read like this. They've lost three in a row. They only had one shot against Newcastle. Not on target. One shot at all. And they haven't had any shots on target in their last two matches. Tough to score a goal if you don't have a shot on target, statistics suggest. They've also faced more shots than any other Premier League side this season. That's a concern. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And Michael Cox was saying he didn't think... This was at the point when Everton had the, the best defence in the Premier League in terms of goals conceded. And I think I think he was right in that the, the last few games have shown there is a, a lot more to do. They, you know, Lampard has obviously concentrated on making them tougher to beat. Um, but that has been at the expense of, of attacking. They only had four shots away at Spurs at the weekend as well. So that's five shots in, in two games, which is... You know, that's what Darwin Nunes has in about ten minutes. <laughs> they signed Neil Mopai and then Brighton this travelled over um, they're solid uh, Jordan Pickford has been in a really good saving streak is is that a thing mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and make it a thing but yeah he's, he's been he's been in good form and has kept a okay defence looking better um, and yeah this Everton team are looking competent in a way that many I don't think many foresaw at the start of the season one of the things I love about football is how, you know, time passes and, you know, you go back and, and Lampard and Vieira are two of the most greatest midfielders to ever play in the Premier League, you know, dynamic. And, and this game could be fairly dour and it's, and, you know, they'll both be like a point, you know, a scrappy point might <laughs> might do it. And it's just, I do like that the way, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are as a player. Steven Gerrard, the same this weekend, will take anything as long as the it's The reflection positive. of who you are as a player. I'm really enjoying this Palace side. They feel like a... Eze's playing so well. Eze's playing fantastic. Elise's looking really good. I was talking to Matt, uh, the Crystal Palace reporter, uh, and he said Elise's really interesting in that he, he he mostly plays at home. 
Um, and and Zaha's in, in the form of his life. They they look a lot like a. This sounds. Please forgive me. This might sound stupid. I mean, everything I say sounds stupid. No, they they no. look as if a team, if you dropped them in the Bundesliga, they'd finish in the top six. Uh, they've they've <laughs> yeah. got they've got a very Bundesliga esque energy in, right. in, in that sort of you know really strong wide players, uh, really dangerous on the attacking transition. Carl, that's that. such great punditry because it sounds really really clever, and probably none of us know enough about what a Bundesliga side <laughs> looks like to act- actively disagree with you. And I, I just want to say that now. Well, this team, drop it in the Bundesliga. <laughs> Good stuff, they, they, they just, yeah, they look Dortmund-esque in, in, a, in a nice way. Right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ob- ob- obviously, not the other. Wow. Okay, good. Well, those are all things that uh, await us this weekend. And then on Monday, Totally Football Show will return with thoughts on all of that. Meantime, as previously mentioned, sometime... This Thursday, you can get Carl and Matt on a special straight out of Cobham. They're all special, but yeah, looking forward to it. Nice. Duncan, anything you wanted to flag up? Not this week. Okay. Just the usual standard of excellence over at theanalyst.com. Well, thanks for your participation today, Duncan, Matt, Carl, producer Charlie, and you, listener. Have a great weekend. We'll speak to you soon. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.